Imagine if we're all sitting at the table talking about the system of race. One thing that we will come to discover that will change everything is that there is no such thing as race. There is only one race, mm. and that is the human race. And yeah. so we are brought back into the understanding and hopefully the connection with not our difference, but our distinction. And in our distinction, we'll identify another amazing thing is that we all have intelligence. Now is the time. You're invited to join us, a movement of leaders who are willing to step into a new approach to leadership across the global landscape. This is as simple as humanity being just you and I, and stakeholders being the value you place on each decision to add or take away from humanity going forward. Hold a minute. Stay with us. We know people like you want to play at a different scale, and these conversations help create the opportunity for you to take us up a notch, or two, or a whole lot more. With a curiosity, let's dig deeper, behind the scenes to see the why, the what, the where, the who, and the when. From other smart humans who make smart decisions and innovate smart, sustainable solutions to narrow the gap from problem to solution. Learn in today's conversation how you can begin to do this. And share Come, with you that my us. name is Earl Amin. I am the founder and CEO of the Gray Owl Company. And what we are purposed for is to bring clarity to process. CEOs of companies all around the world, uh, 27 countries to date, hire me, hire our company to give them what we call 2020 foresight. And this allows them to see down the road, to see what's on the road ahead in advance of others. And of course, that allows them also to see into their process as they are engaged in it. I'm very pleased to have been asked to speak today because now is a moment in time wherein the voices of people must be heard. So let me begin by saying this, that it is humanity that we're talking about. And that is really ever and always the subject matter, humanity. And humanity is the combination of all peoples that exist on this planet, all humans, all humans being. But the underlying subject I wish to share with you is about yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And my goal is to set you free. Set you free so that you can understand that you are not trapped in this space, in this time, in this now. Because this is not the first time that this today has occurred. And it will occur again tomorrow. And the first thing, I'm, when Kira Marie reached out to me, I thought the subject matter was really going to be more around COVID-19 and its impact on the world. And how are we going to recover from it economically? But as I thought about it, and then as I listened to our speakers yesterday and listened to Kira Marie I sensed that there was a change, that there was a deepening of intention 
and so I modified my presentation a bit. You see the image that's on the screen and it looks like droplets. Well, I chose that image because I want you to understand that that's the past. And is the past moving into the present, moving into the future. And you see as it moves forward into the future that there's less and less intensity because the future is not yet written. We do not know that it shall be a representation of what was past. But we know that right in the middle of it is that when we can exercise the truth of our own power, our own intention, and apply dominion and authority over this now. So let me begin with the first subject matter. And I would appreciate it if someone is keeping track of my time so I don't go over. The first thing is the pandemic. The pandemic is a big deal, but it's not the first time that we've had a pandemic. Ever since the first recorded pandemic back in, and this screenshot will, will show, back in Antonine Plague in 165 to 180 BC, five million lives were lost. And five million lives then against the number of lives existing is a great many. You follow all the way up through the 1347, the Black Death, the bubonic plague, 200 million lives, more than a third of the world, gone. And you move further up and you see great plagues over and over and over and over again, up to and including AIDS in the present day, 1981. 25 to 35 million lost. And now in more recent times, MERS, Ebola, SARS, swine flu, the flu, and now COVID-19, whose death numbers are, I believe, 105,000 now and still ongoing, still growing. But understand that the nature of pandemic is the nature of repetition. It's not the first time that it's happened. It will not be the last. And because it repeats itself, it's really about what do we learn from it? What do we gain from it? How do we evolve from it? I'm very interested in words that are used to describe circumstances. And I seek not recovery, but renewal. I'm not seeking to reset or even, what's the word everybody's known? Get to a new norm, a new normal. I'm seeking simply to let go of what was and embrace what is so that what will be can be its best. And the only way for me to do that is to engage. Most of the time we allow our fear to limit both our understanding, our willingness to understand, and our engagement. And many of our speakers who spoke yesterday are on target with how to engage our fear in times of stress, distress, and in times of fear of loss, even loss of life, even when loss of life actually occurs. I do not live in a belief that what happens around me defines me as me. 
I believe that what happens around me gives me the opportunity to choose, to choose a relationship with what has happened around me. And this is simply a truth that I've learned that applies whether it is to a pandemic, whether it is to economics, whether it is to society, it doesn't matter what it applies to. I'm always at a moment, a now, wherein I may choose. This has served me all of my life, all of my adult life, growing a company wherein I left college as a junior, Dean's List, could have graduated, but I realized I was learning nothing that was going to be useful to me, and that has never been proven wrong. It is not something that I uh, advise others to do, but it was true for me then. I've never looked back, but I've paid. I've paid the price because I had a willingness to do so. And I know that fear is something that I choose to be in relationship to it, and how I choose that relationship determines my actions, determines outcome. So I've had, I've traveled quite frequently the bell curve of up and down. And I know the experience of having great wealth. I know what it's like to have a million dollars in cash sitting on a table and it's mine, legally earned. But I also know what it's like to lift the can of a garbage can or the can of a dumpster and dive inside of it to find the warm food that the restaurant threw away for the night or to find the sandwich that is decayed or molded and break away what is not nutrition for me, but eat what's left. And during those times, fortunately, I never chose to define myself by those moments, but I chose to allow those moments to refine me. So as a participant in humanity, as a person now seeking to support others in engaging their humanity so that problems can be addressed, problems can be solved without those problems becoming identity, those experiences were essential. So pandemic, I want to say pandemic is nothing to be afraid of, but that would presume quite a bit. Pandemic is something to give intentional attention to. Where I live, my life hasn't changed at all. I've not felt the impact of isolation. My wife and I both work from home, run our respective businesses. So this was just the next day. We did choose to participate in mask wearing and social distancing only when we needed to leave the house. But this was our choosing, not from fear. It was our choosing from strength and wanting to be an example of support to the rest of the community. But pandemic happened yesterday. It's happening today and it will happen tomorrow. But where else does this apply yesterday, today, and tomorrow? Economics. Part of the concern with the impact of the pandemic, COVID-19, has been the, the never before seen, at least in recorded history, of the shutdown of the entire world. 
but that's what people think, but it's not really true because every time there was a pandemic, there was economic impact. You see the emblem that we have here, e pluribus unum. It's the Latin that means out of many, one. And so I love these things because there's so many ways to apply it out of so many people that make up this nation as this was intended, we join together to be one nation, one nation under God, indivisible. E pluribus unum, out of many, one, is on our currency. It's on every great seal, on every agency throughout the U.S. Out of many, one. In 1959, I believe it was replaced with In God We Trust. Now that's emblazoned upon our currency. But my point is that out of the many of us, out of the diversity of us, out of the individuals that we are, hailing from various backgrounds, from various cultures, from various countries, out of the many that diversity is, we get to be one people, is why I chose to keep the word humanity up here. So that in times of trial and tribulation, we come together, we come together as one, not with diversity in mind. I often find the use of the term diversity in advance of inclusion, a misrepresentation of intention even, dare I say, a falsehood, because you cannot, you cannot gain inclusion by first diversifying. You must include first and allow the diversity of that inclusion to be represented as the result. So I look forward to seeing more officers who are the heads of inclusion, because in this particular country, even in the pandemic that we are currently facing, we have discovered that there is a lack of inclusion and a higher degree of intense focus on difference, which is what diversity brings forward, of difference rather than distinction. And here's the proof of that. We are continually looking at language of the system of how this country runs that speaks to how you're over here and you're over here. You're this and you're that. You're this category and you're that category. I was blessed to learn some time ago through just a divine revelation that therein lies the trick that anything that is attached ism is really the system of the word it is attached to. So as we struggle through economic trials, it's so easy to see us take the opportunity to come together and restructure through inclusion. Because if we're all included in all that I bring to the table, adds to versus all that you bring to the table and then I've got to go get mine. I've got mine, you get yours. 
the economic condition of our country today, it's happened before, it happened yesterday, it's happening today, it will happen again tomorrow. All economics is a bell curve. What goes up must come down. So be not afraid, be not worried. For even for those who have lost jobs, the economy constantly adjusts itself. New opportunity will come out of it. Ingenuity will breed the opportunity to create new industries, to create new job opportunities. We'll not remain in a state where no one has a job, no one has a place to go and work for their dignity. But within the realm of economics, we also find that when in a mindset of diversity, of constantly differentiating, the system does not allow equal access to economic stability so that I may have what you may have without lessening what you have. This has become more and more evident as we see now because of technology. We see now things as they are. Not even the media is able to, as it once was, to cause you to see what it wants you to see and believe what it wants you to believe, though there is a concentrated effort to maintain that capability. For the first time in modern history, technology has brought us to a point where we bear our own individual witness to what is happening in the world. And this brings me to a final point that, as you all know, the happenings that occurred recently regarding George Floyd. Again, this is not the first time this has happened. This happened yesterday. This happened today. And this will happen tomorrow. And not because we are powerless to change it, but because there is a system in place and until and unless the system is changed, then the system allows for this person to sit the entirety of his weight upon the body and neck of another human being. And despite this person's screams that he cannot breathe, he sat there with two other human beings on his body, disabling this human being from being human to the point where he calls for his mother and then dies. I look at this and I don't see that person. I see that person. But what I do see and what I give my attention to is the system that exists that had him even think that he might get away with this. It is the system that we should, should target our ire towards. George Floyd is number what? Who knows? I read an article two years ago that said 1.1 million men who are Americans of African descent have simply gone missing. 
in this country. That was two years ago. 1.1 million. There is a system. And that system isn't just targeting African-American, or I prefer Americans of African descent. It's not just targeting them, but it's targeting anyone who doesn't understand that this is a system. The system can be changed. And that's where I hope to build not only understanding, but bring focus and attention to, intention to, but get people to understand that by including, by through inclusion, through inclusion, not seeing the difference. I had a gentleman say to me a couple of days ago, which I'm sure you all have heard this, you know, I don't see your color. I don't see you as black. And, and I had to grace inform him that, you know, that was really the insult. So you do not see what I am, but I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. Of wanting not to see what the system says is bad, wrong, or negative. guilty of not just seeing and accepting what is actually there in front of us. But these are the opportunities that are available in front of us today. So I seek not to reset. I seek not to find uh, the, the new norm. I seek to release from what was normal and engage and embrace, build, participate in, include myself in the mission to design to implement, to execute what is new, what is next. I think it's a fantastic opportunity. But the question may come up in, in one's mind, well, you know, that's a lot of big stuff. You know, how can this be changed? So I'll remind you that the words that you use to describe your world is the world that you create for others to live in. I've met many people who describe, who use certain words to describe their world. And as a case in point, the use of the term African-American is an assignment. It's an assigned term that is representative of categorization within a system in order to disperse and dispense access to that system, to the resources of that system. So I prefer, and I make it known everywhere I go, that I prefer not to be referred to as African-American because I'm not from Africa. I don't know much about Africa. I haven't been there. And if I went to Africa, those Africans that I do know would tell me, don't call yourself African because we don't know you. But I can say that I am an American, born of America, but descended from Africa. And this now allows me to be included into the mechanism that is America. Because now I can turn to another and say, for instance, Giovanni, presumably you're of Italian descent. Let's say if that is the case, then Giovanni is an American of Italian descent. Kiri Marie is an Australian of Kiwi descent. This way we are seen for who we are. I do want you to see me. Now I know 
that this is only melanin in my skin. It is but a chemical. It does not define me in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but the system that is built around me says that anyone containing a level of melanin in your skin, we shall categorize you in such a way that it shall determine the level of access that you have to resources within the system. Because I look like me. Well, when I see each of you, I see you. I see you as you are. And in that moment, in that now, I choose to receive you as you are in truth. Whether you are male, whether you are female, whatever your gender identification is, however you address yourself, that is the highest and best representation of who you are, I will receive that. That's why I'm intentional about the pronunciation of names. Whatever your name is, however you spell it, I ask people, how do you prefer to hear your name spoken? Because I want to know you as you want to be known, not as I want to assign knowing to you. These are interesting times, interesting days, and I my wish for all of you is to, is to participate in embracing, first of all, the truth. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. And that what is happening today has happened tomorrow. History is nothing but a reference. Learn from it, pull from it. Now is where your power lies where you can quite actually, not just literally, but actually change your world in this now by understanding that your history never ever defines you, but your power is in now and once applied, once executed, opens the pathway and broadens the corridor to all that your tomorrow can be. So we can take this moment in time where we have borne witness live to the murder of a human being, recognize that this is simply the system playing itself out and technology has allowed us to bear witness to it. And then look inside and ask yourself the question of who you are. How can this be changed? It can be changed by changing me. Anger has its place. The desire to speak out, to lash out has its place. But the truth is, is that we can design tomorrow so that this happens less. When we begin with the word, oftentimes the question is, well, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Is it the word or the thought? Well, I think, therefore, I am. Or these are the words that formed in my head, and therefore I express them. But I believe that it's our thoughts first. But our words are the tools that we use to give the world form, to give it substance, to give it impact. Okay, so here's a slight disruption to the conversation that we're having. I wanted to let you know of something that I've never done before. And honestly, I really don't know if I'm going to do it again. 
But I just feel absolutely drawn to putting it out there right now. And it's called Blaze a Trail, Shift the Dial Forward. It's a two-hour Zoom that I'm inviting you to come and be at. I think that when we blaze a trail and shift the dial forward, we want to make sure that every decision we make is going to count. And I'm excited to share with you some of my insights that I have learned around decision making. And, you know, when we make slow decisions, there are moments when we just keep getting stuck and there's uncertainty to it. When there's wrong decisions, we tend to do reckless decisions and make them. And uh, when we do the right decisions fast, it's really different. So I've got a model around that and I can't wait to share that with you because I know it's a pattern that when you focus in on making decisions a particular way, it gives you freedom in your schedule to be able to execute things at a much faster pace. It means that you're not taking so much risk when you're making decisions. And it also gets you to a point where you can make decisions really fast and then give that to others and leverage it out. And I can tell you that has made such a difference. When you're certain about the decisions you're making, when you're working with teams, building out culture in a particular way, it is amazing when you can be really certain on your decision making, what it needs to look like, and then be able to communicate that with others. So let's gain time back, learn how to be an effective leader, and then be able to increase wins at your table so that you can optimize your growth and even change some paradigms. Wouldn't that be all right? Get the results you want? I think so. So this all equals the return on your decisions. And that's what I'm going to talk about a lot within that two-hour zone. So there is an investment and I can't wait for you to make that investment because I already have that seat ready for you at the table. And there's a bonus, by the way. The investment that you make for 497 for this Zoom and by this, I don't do this any other time at this moment. So this is a no-brainer. If you want to learn more, then come and we will make sure that you've got the link there and there. But here's the bonus. I haven't told you yet. The bonus is you get for you a global human intelligence forum ticket. And not only do you get that for you, but you actually get one because I always, I just think that it's really good that we're always giving and you get one to give to someone else that you think could really benefit by being at the table for the Global Human Intelligence Forum. And that's in a couple of months' time. So it's exciting. I can't wait to be able to uh, do this Zoom. And even, by the way, if there was only one person that turns up for the Zoom, I will be there. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to sharing some of the insights I've learned, the conversations that I've had with leaders, the what I've gained around that, what we're seeing for the future, and the decision-making that I'm making, you're making, how can that actually be what you're, how to use your platform in a way that really gives voice to you as a leader uh, is just so exciting and I want you to be there. So make sure you get in, lock in your ticket. Like I said, I've already got a seat there for you. 
You've just got to take it. You've got to own that seat. So can't wait for you to be there. All right, let's get back to the other conversation. Now, you may argue against this, but I believe that a weapon, a gun, a knife, a bat have no power until intention is applied to them. And I've actually seen a gun used as a hammer before to build a house. I've actually seen a knife used to cut and alter the form and shape of wood, not to take a life. It's really who we are, who we choose to be, our intention in the now. There are things coming forward now where this understanding is being applied in realms of economics and realms of the nonprofit realm. My wife and I own the Donner House Foundation, whose intention is simply to bring this level of thinking into nonprofits so that they can be more efficient in doing what they do. Not just being another nonprofit, but helping helpers help better. So from what is given, we give. For those who are entrepreneurs, own small businesses, there is now the uh, Global Black Women's Chamber of Commerce, which was formed just this year and will be launched officially in the summer. A place where inclusion occurs so that all the, all the access that you need into the system is made available to you. And now if you choose to utilize it, then you can. Even in the area of funding, the statistics will bear it out that even funding for entrepreneurs for small businesses, there is a limitation of access. There is not inclusion, there is categorization. But that too is changing. And how do we change it? We change it by mitigating the risk of investment into any type of business owned by any person. This is happening here and now today because the laws have changed just recently, just within the last couple of weeks that will allow money now to be targeted into your business, into your business, into your business, into my business. And not on the basis of myself being categorized as a minority, but on the viability of my business itself to sustain itself in the marketplace. These are the things that I have chosen to focus myself on. How can this be changed? It is being changed because I am that change. And I invite you, each and every one of you individually, to be the change that you want to see in the world. You may not know how, and if you don't know how, then ask the question of anyone. How can I be the change in this world? You will be amazed at the responses that you receive. Because what it takes for you to ask that question is remarkable in and of itself. And it says that you have reached down into your own humanity and you've pulled out something amazing. You've decided to share it with the world. Thank you. Amazing, truly. Where's everyone gone? Can you see me? I see you. 
That's great because I don't see anyone. There we are. The screen has come back on. Would you like us all to wave to you? No, that's good. I can see you. I can see you. Look, I just firstly, I want to say I see you, Earl. I see you, Twinsy. And I see you, American of African descent, an amazing human at the table. And I see you and you are just someone that can add so much value. And as a friend, I am grateful for you in my life. As a colleague, I'm thankful that together we can see how we can do it better in the workplace, to see how we can do it better in our homes, to see how we can do it better in our local communities, to see how we can do it better across the nation, across the nations. And, you know, it's a privilege to be able to call you my friend and to do life together. So thank you. Thank you for, you know, I opened up with that video and I know that that brings up emotions both in your life and mine as we, we really stand together on how can we as humans add value and make sure we're leaving behind footsteps of legacy, right? That are for this generation, but also the generations to come. And although we cannot change what has been, we definitely are the change that can happen and will happen when we make better decisions and decisions with more distinctions at the decision table. So there were some beautiful words that you use, of course. We have that conversation where we are very careful on how we choose our words at the table. And we know the importance around that. Both of us use distinctions. We don't talk about diversity, that we want more distinctions at the decision table. And I love the way that you defined or looked at difference. And you said that rather than difference, because that's what diversity is, it's bring distinctions. And it's interesting because as you define yourself as an American of African descent, we now then go, that's your distinctions you bring to the table. Now, how do we bring it as a clean slate to the table of going, me, you, we are now humanity. How do we make better decisions at that table? So how, there's a gap between that, right? Even still. So there's this gap between black, white, multicolored, whatever, like honestly, you name it, it goes in there, whether it's gender, race, the ability or lack of abilities that you may have, like whatever is being defined as humans over there. Then now we're talking, well, actually, I'm Australian and I've got Kiwi descent, whatever, or in your case, American of African descent. And by the way, for Giovanni, it's Canadian, isn't it, Giovanni? Of Italian descent. So just for a clarity there, <laughs> uh, which is all good. But you know what I mean? And then how do we now go, because I believe there's like this equal playing field now because we're bringing humanity to the decision table and we're saying bring those distinctions we need those distinctions there so there's still a gap right of getting 
all of us at that table. What are your thoughts around that? Very clearly, what you said is, is correct, and I'm glad you posited that. What I am learning by the doing, because I choose never to speak from supposition, I choose to speak from experience, so I'll go do something, even if I fail at it, so that I can speak from that experience. So what I've learned, which now I'm beginning to succeed at, is understanding, you know, because my question was, how can I be a difference? Not how can I make a difference, but how can I be a difference? And I realized that I could only do it one me at a time. And one me at a time opened me up to one moment at a time, one now at a time. But one now at a time happens so quickly, so repeatedly, that next thing I know, I've done what I call the, the pearl. So every now is a pearl. And eventually you have a string of pearls. Is not the value of the necklace greater than the value of the single pearl? Uh, and each of those are experiences that are targeting specific outcomes. So for me, I know the answer to the question, who am I? Usually with my clients in the on-take process, I'll ask, you know, so who are you? And as many of you know, it's, well, you know, I'm, I'm a leader, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a brother, stop. Well, no, 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 that's, you're not, you're not either not hearing my question or not, but you're not answering it. So who are you? I could not ask that question until I knew the answer. And so finally, after trying and trying, I'll get around and say, well, okay, ask me the question, not let me tell you the answer, because I cannot tell you your answer, but you can ask me the question. Okay, who are you? I am love. I am peace. Everything that I do emanates from that and can be traced back to love and peace. Now, love carries with it a specific definition. Love is always in action. Love is not romantic. Love is not romantic. Love can be applied to romance but think of any moment wherein you have experienced love and you will describe it to me as an action. He did this. She did this. It will be an action. I have read Torah. I've read Quran. I've read the Bible. And everything is around action. Love is something that you do. That was my mother's favorite phrase. Love is something that you do. So now I allow myself to be experienced by first the love that I bear myself, which takes the form of my willingness to act. So in my willingness to act and perform and act on the behalf and the benefit of someone else, they experience love. They describe it as love. I feel loved. Now, I know this works because I get it from my wife, because if she didn't feel love, I would know about it. <laughs> but now peace. Peace is that recognition of that which centers you in the center of all that is happening around you. It is your calm in the center of the storm. And it is not something that you yourself can decide on because that kind of peace is balance between the inside and the outside. And so, but don't get it 
as they say, twisted. I am not a pacifist. I am not a pacifist. I will engage. I am a warrior. However, I am a pacifist. Before I engage, I will seek every pathway toward peace. But if you think that because I'm seeking peace, that I'm weak, you will be wrong. So, but I'm not an advocate of violence, but violence is a tool. And you'll be grateful for the violence that I am willing to enact when you are the beneficiary of it. Now I can say that because I have a history in personal protection, I protect people. It's just one of many things that I'm capable of. And I tell people, I told my wife when I first met her, I am capable of killing on your behalf. So make a decision about that. We can stop now. That's such an attraction thing there, Earl. Pardon? (laughs) I said that's such an attraction thing. Like, boy, by the way, I can kill to protect you, huh? (laughs) But not that it's not about violence. It's not about killing. I'm I'm not advocating that but I wanted her to have a sense of peace and security and knowing that if something should occur, that I have a willingness to stand unto the sacrifice of my own life on behalf of hers or the sacrifice of another's life on behalf of hers or my own. I'm a pacifist. That's how I got to that understanding. That's so cool. Hey, Earl. You say we need to ask questions and you know me, I'm, I'm the world's questionnaire asker. It's how I've learned. I, it's how I'm learning. It's how I keep evolving. And, but here's the thing, when we're uncomfortable, when we're awkward, when we don't want to say the wrong thing, when we're afraid to maybe that if we say something, you might take it the wrong way. And I'm meaning you as in anyone, right? Like we tend to hold back or resist or have fear around that. How do we get over that and start having these kind of conversations in a bigger way? That's an excellent question. And again, I'll share with you from recent experience with a client of mine whom if I told you his name, you would all likely know him, said to me some things that had me experience that he was drawing from mistrust. And so, first of all, rather than coming to judgment that he would ask me such a thing, I came back not with a statement or an expression. I said, I asked him a question. I asked him the question, what are you experiencing right now? What emotion are you experiencing right now? Mm. And it paused him because it forced him. The good question forces you to go inside because the answer is never outside of you. The answer is always only and ever inside of you. But that is the place that takes the most courage, which is why rather than confront confrontation with statement, I confront confrontation with question. Now, I may make a statement that is, I'm experiencing you as, but that is not accusation. That's my own assessment. And it in and of itself presents the question. If I'm experiencing you as being upset, 
as being angry, that's not an accusation. That's an opportunity for you to experience my asking you, are you actually upset? And then I can go deeper. I had an opportunity to sit in with uh, a number of uh, ambassadors. And uh, we had this conversation around the necessity of asking questions, especially when there's misunderstanding afoot, rather than saying, you are this, you always that, you never this. Be present in the now and ask the question about now. Mm. How are you feeling now? What are you experiencing now? As much as you may want to, ah, why are you saying this to me? You can't talk to me like yeah. that. What are you experiencing now? Yeah. Mm. And humility. Yeah. So here's How, the thing. You know, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What were you saying about? No, no. Because you know, I will answer your question thoroughly. I know so, you will. Yeah. I know. so here's the thing. You know, I've sat at the table and, you know, with Martin Luther uh, and Junior and he's, you know, we've had this conversation of going, we have literally got to stop talking about so much of a racial context on this and go, humanity, how are we going to make decisions in that way going forward and get in the room a lot of people that honestly, in most cases, would we would find that... I mean, we have literally had some pretty full-on conversations and gone, what if we got, and so if we just use, I'll use one example that I know I can, and that is with the, you know, the police and um, the cops. And if just by one example that we got the decision makers around how the cops made a decision to hesitate for three seconds, because here's the thing. For white people, as in that's how they describe themselves there in this way, they hesitate for three seconds. When it's a black person, that is not at the table. That is just the reality of the situation. And so we were having the conversation going, how do we get at the table all of those decision makers that could then start saying, even if we disagree with everything else about policy, anything else about the way things are done, whatever it is, but we just all agreed on this one thing that no matter what gender, no matter what race, no matter what anything, that we hesitated for three seconds. But we can disagree on everything else, Earl, sure. but we agree on that one thing. How do we start getting more of those conversations that it's okay to actually disagree on everything else, but we find that one thing that we could agree on and again, so we can shift it closer to solution. Yes, uh, agreed. I call that the breath in, in, my, in my space. I teach about the breath all the time. And the breath is simply taking that moment in the time that it takes to actually yeah. draw in a breath. But internally, I'm reshaping my world. That level of consideration I mean, a second is just a measurement of time and the way that we perceive it, it seems like that. But actually in the space of time, you can change the whole world. Mm. Uh, and I, I see this work all the time at the decision table, especially when decisions are critical mm -hmm. and they need to be made fast. It is not the constancy if you're actually in that room. You don't hear people just going, yes, I've decided this. Yes, I've decided that. Well, what you hear 
is the space of silence. Mm. More often than not, you see and experience the contemplation that is just taking a breath. And not take a breath like, oh man, chill out for a minute. No, this is intentional. And as to the leaders, you know, we're all leaders. Yeah. We all lead. Yeah. But as to what we target our intention as leaders toward, man, that is what makes the difference. So if it's important to you, let's say as a quote unquote white person, mm. it's important to me, to you, to understand what it is that I, as a quote unquote black person, yeah. uh, am experiencing, then come with two things. The willingness to understand nothing mm. and the willingness to accept what you do not understand. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Yeah. You're really coming in wanting your white right. Yeah. It's so interesting, I, you know, that awkwardness of both of us having to describe the white, the black, and, and, and like for us, that's a really difficult way to do it. And I, I always go, the best moment I had was the first time I stood on a global stage and I was able to say, I am here, I'm Kiri Marie, and I didn't say all the different things, I just said, I'm here representing humanity. And for me, that was the biggest privilege to be able to give voice to humanity because me as a human having a voice was the best thing in life and so you know if I think of that and I think of who's in the room today and I think of the conversation that we've just begun I go how do we bring that back into so we've talked really big over here with a lot of the thinking around it, how do we bring that back into our homes? How do we bring that back into our workplace? Whether that be a business, an organization, a company, maybe it's a community. How do we bring that back and, you know, make better decisions in those places in relation to our conversation? I do not believe at this time, Kira Marie, that as humanity, and I'll, let me rephrase, because there is evidence of it maturing. Mm. But as it regards the current system that is the propagator of our experiences, at this time, if we simply shift words, for instance, there's really no effective conversation you can have around racism unless you understand that ism means system and now rename it Let's have a conversation about the system of race. Because now you're talking about something that everybody can talk about. And I can talk about it without it being about me yeah. as a victim so of good. it. But me actually pouring in all of my intelligence mm. into what, how that system can be modified. And with inclusion, imagine if we're all sitting at the table talking about the system of race, one thing that we will come to discover that will change everything is that there is no such thing as race. There is only one race, mm. and that is the human race. And yeah. so we are brought back into the understanding and hopefully the connection with not our difference, 
but our distinction. Yeah, bring it on. And in our distinction, we'll identify another amazing thing is that we all have intelligence. Yes. If we didn't all have intelligence, then we wouldn't have the current leadership that we have mm -hmm. supported by a base of intelligent people. Mm -hmm. But not intelligence is different. Intelligence is a refinement of distinction. I'm sorry. Intellect yeah. is a refinement of distinction mm -hmm. coming from intelligence. Everybody's got intelligence. Love it. Not everybody has intellect. And intellect is the ability to draw upon raw intelligence yes. and refine it to yeah. an executable point. That which, is intellect. Which brings me back to why I believe, you know, when we know how to use the muscle of human intelligence, we actually have what I call the secret, which is the economic advantage. And beyond that, of course, so many other advantages. But the reason we're bringing up a lot of these things is the thinking around it. Maybe we haven't thought of this before. Maybe we're not thinking with a lens that could help us to make better decisions at the table, right? So for us, this is why this conversation is so important, that we in ourselves continue to stretch and, and use the muscle of our human intelligence. And here's the thing, there's a lot of people that don't use that muscle and make very stupid decisions at the table. And, but when you're able to, Oh my goodness, what changes can happen from that? It's so exciting. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, leave awesome ratings and reviews. Our hope is that this product creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, and a curiosity for the need to be a part of the change, to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, join us at our next Global Human Intelligence Forum and get your free ticket for you, plus one, to give to someone you know who will add value. When you sign up for the two-hour Zoom, blaze a trail, shift the dial forward. We appreciate you. Help us build a tribe and make humanity as stakeholders. Let's achieve this together. Recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, pioneers, future thinkers, and movement changers. Big love. Plus, I can't wait to see you on the next Global Human Intelligence Podcast.